You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. As we turn to God's word, we're going to continue this series this morning through the parables by looking at the parable of the wedding banquet in Matthew chapter 22. Let me read uh, the passage before us, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive in to this text of scripture. Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that as your word is opened and as we hear from the wisdom of this parable, Father, we pray that we would take it both as good news and as a warning, or that we would heed the good news that all are invited to come, and Lord, that we would heed the warning that we must come rightly. Father, we pray that as your word is being preached, that you, O Holy Spirit, will minister to our souls, that you will save those who are lost in their sin. And Lord, that you would equip the saints for the work of ministry. Lord, may you do far more than we could ask or seek as your word is preached this day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So when Caitlin and I got married uh, over a decade ago now, believe it or not, time flies. But a decade ago when we were getting married, we had a problem. We had this gigantic list of people that all needed and wanted to come to the wedding. And part of the reason for that was just not because we're so popular, but, but, but because we had so many different groups and pockets of people over our lives that all wanted to come. So Caitlin lived in Orlando, Florida. There were lots of people from Orlando that wanted to come. 
I lived in Newberry, South Carolina. There were lots of people from Newberry that wanted to come. We both went to college together at Charleston Southern University. Lots of people from Charleston Southern wanted to come. I was serving at a church in the West Ashley area of Charleston. They all wanted to come, right? So we had all these different groups of people that wanted to come. We had this extensive network. And so we were getting married at the church that I was serving at, but we found ourselves at a very difficult place. The church we were at, it had plenty of room for everyone, but we could not host, nor could we afford the hundreds of people for the reception at Middleton Plantation. So we came up with a solution. We decided we would have an open wedding, but a closed reception. An open wedding, but a closed reception. We would invite everyone to the ceremony, and then we would have an invited few come to the reception. Unfortunately, that did not work all that well. Right? Because what ended up happening is at the wedding, people found out from each other where the reception would be. And so we had all these people uninvited finding their way to the reception because they not only wanted to be a part of the and witness the occasion of the wedding, they wanted to be a part of the celebration of the wedding. Jesus's wedding is not like mine. On the one hand, for Jesus's wedding, as we'll see from the text, not everybody wanted to be there. There were a few that were militantly against attending, offended at the invitation. But after that initial round of guests in this parable of the wedding feast, after that ignored invitation, Jesus does not have a closed wedding celebration. In fact, Jesus opens up and invites everybody to come and enjoy the feast of the wedding. And on that great day of the wedding feast of the Lamb, there will be great feasting. And so today, as we look to God's word, I want to invite every one of us here, give you this invitation, give you an invitation to the wedding of Christ. It's an open invitation. But yet, as we will see from God's word, we still must come dressed appropriately, cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So as we look at the parable this morning, we're going to do so in three stages. First, we're going to see the rejected invitation. Second, we're going to see the open invitation. And then third, we will consider the qualifications for the feast. That's where we're going this morning. Let's first look at the rejected invitation to the feast. The parable of the wedding feast marks a conclusion to a series of parables that Jesus has been giving in Matthew chapter 21. If you flip back just a chapter earlier, you'll see in Matthew 21 that the triumphant entry had just happened. Jesus just made his way into Jerusalem for the final week of his life, culminating on Good Friday and his death by crucifixion. And things are starting to heat up. In Matthew 21, verse 23, we see that the religious leaders are getting increasingly aggressive and their disapproval of Jesus's ministry and of his teaching. And so every time they try to confront Jesus in some way, to try to get him to, to get caught up in his words, Jesus, of course, outsmarts them. He stumps them, and he exposes their hard-heartedness. And so in response to these leaders and their rejection of Jesus and their deceitful tri trickery, Jesus teaches three parables which anticipates God's rejection of Israel's religious leaders and anticipates the acceptance of the gospel among the lowly, even to those outside of Israel. 
So he gives the parables of the two sons in Matthew 21, verse 28 and following. And he draws out here the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who say they will obey the father. We want to do what you say. And then they go on and disobey. Then he gives the parable of the tenants in Matthew 21, verse 33 and following which exposes the the pride and the hard-heartedness and the selfishness of the Pharisees who conspire to kill the master's son in order to own the vineyard. Jesus tells them that the chief priests and the Pharisees, that he tells them that the kingdom will be taken away from them, and instead it will be given to those producing fruit. Matthew 21, verse 43. So by this point, Leading up to our parable, the leaders are catching on to Jesus's message. They're not that thick-headed, right? They realize Jesus is talking about them. Look at Matthew 21, verse 45 through 46. You can see the anger in them brewing against Jesus. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, the first two, right? They perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So the parable of the two sons exposes the Pharisees and the leaders' hypocrisy. The parable of the tenants exposes their pride. And for the final blow, this third parable, Jesus shows the coming of God's judgment upon these religious leaders who rejected Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they were all invited to the wedding feast of the kingdom. They were all invited to come. But yet, as we see from this parable in Matthew 22, verse 8, not all of those who were invited are worthy to come to the feast. Instead, the invitation of God into the kingdom, into this wedding feast, will go to those that the religious elites elites considered unworthy the people that they wouldn't think would ever come to such a thing. So now that we have a little bit of context of where this is at in Matthew's gospel, let's look at the parable of the wedding banquet with a little bit closer attention. The setting of the parable is a wedding feast. Weddings are such joyous occasions, aren't they? We love weddings. We love going to weddings. And of course, Jewish weddings were even bigger affairs in so many ways than even our modern weddings. There were multiple days of celebration, a week-long affair, and a royal wedding, like the one described here in this parable of the wedding feast, would have been a huge affair. The entire city would have been entrapped up with this celebration and this feasting. It was a cause of celebration. A wedding feast is a party. It's a joyous one. It's a celebration. And so the feast here in this parable represents citizenship, participation, the joy of the kingdom of God, what it means to be a part of this kingdom. It it represents life in the presence of God. It represents fellowship with God, communion with God. And so like every wedding, invitations are a bit exclusive. Not everybody initially receives an invitation. However, for this wedding feast, the invitation first goes out by the king. And after no response, the king sends a second message, thinking that maybe it got lost in the mail or something like that, right? And so look at what he says in verse 4. He says, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. All the invitees of the wedding has stood up the king, and everything's ready. Everything's ready for the party. Everything's ready for the celebration, but yet no one has come. What a 
privilege to receive an invitation to this sort of royal wedding feast, and yet how patient the king is here and extending not just one invitation that was ignored, but now a second. You see, even though we have emancipated ourselves from England, it is astonishing to me how obsessed Americans are with English weddings, royal weddings, whether it's Princess Diana or or Kate Middleton, people just love royal weddings. Many Americans would probably sell everything they had if they could get an invitation to such a wedding as this. Who wouldn't want an invitation, a lavish, exclusive event like this? But we see here that these who are invited to this wedding feast spurn the invitation. Their their response is appalling on two different levels. Because there's two different reactions that Jesus says that these invitees have. Apathy and aggression. Apathy and aggression. Some just ignore the king while others attack the king's messengers. You see, all who reject the Lord Jesus Christ can be found in either one of those two categories. They either ignore Jesus or attack Jesus. But even though you might reject Jesus in two different ways, the response of Jesus is the same. Utter destruction and judgment. Let's think about those who ignore the invitation to the wedding feast. Not only did did some receive the invitation and not show up, but they seemed to have given no concern at all, no even thought about coming. They didn't even look at their calendars and say, well, let's see if I can rework some things to make it here. No, they didn't even think about it. They received the RSV request in the mail, and they literally just threw it in the trash can without opening it. They they didn't care. Look at what verse 5 says, right? They paid no attention. Paid no attention. And they went off, one to his farm, another to his business. You see, many people ignore the invitation to King Jesus because they are too busy to pay attention to him. They receive the invitation, but they've got too many things to do, too many tasks to complete. They have, after all, people today, we have businesses to manage. We have kids to get to soccer practice. We have television shows that need to be watched. We have Instagram followers that have to be impressed. We have political commentary that we have to consume. We have chores to complete, and on and on and on it goes. You see, you can have your life so engulfed in busy activity that you flat out ignore Jesus' invitation. You pay him no attention at all. I have no time to think about Jesus and the gospel and the Bible the invitation of the kingdom? You see, perhaps you've had a friend share Jesus with you multiple times, and you've pushed them aside, getting back to work. Maybe you've heard a preacher like me share the gospel and the good news of Jesus on several occasions, but you are far too busy to give my words any thought, let alone to seek the scriptures yourself and find eternal life in them. You see, your to-do list is too long to drop what you're doing and to go to the wedding feast. Your calendar is too full. The hum of activity in your life, scripture says, is sort of like a white noise machine. You heard of these things, right? Essential for any parent with young children, right? You put them in the room, you play it loudly, and that white noise just sort of blankets the room in noise, making everything outside of the room practically impossible to hear. You see, the hum of activity in your life can be like a white noise machine, spiritually speaking. Your ears begin to tune it out, 
and you become deaf from hearing the call of God outside the room. Friend, if that's you, I hope and I pray that by God's mercy, you might turn off that white noise machine this morning and hear the invitation of the gospel that I offer to you this day. Don't ignore the invitation of Jesus to lay down your life and to find your life in him. There's a second category of people who reject Jesus here, isn't there? There's those who are apathetic, who just don't care. They ignore it. But others attack the messengers, don't they? They attack. They're aggressive. Look at verse 6. Those invited got aggressive with the king's servants. They beat them up. Some, Jesus said, were even murdered. They were murdered. Can you imagine the sort of hatred you must have in your heart to respond to a wedding invitation with violence? Can you imagine getting the RSVP in the mail and then you're so angry you stab the mailman as a result? It's just ludicrous. What hatred this is. What insult. What vitriol they have. What dishonor these people have to the king. You see, like the religious leaders of Israel, some actively hate the Lord. They hate God. They grumble that they have to live their lives under his sort of rule. They despise his law. They despise his judgment. They despise his ways. Such people live in open rebellion against God, living their own way in defiance against what the Bible says and against God's law. Not only do they hate God, but they hate the servants of God. If they can't kill God, well, we might as well kill his messengers. However, we have to remember, who who are these people in this parable? Who does Jesus have in his crosshairs here? Well, it's not the law-breaking atheists, but it's the law-abiding Pharisees. The invitation first goes to Israel's religious leaders in the parable, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, but they would be the ones who would reject Jesus. These leaders, isn't this so ironic? These leaders who were meticulous in their obedience, all the while in their hearts, they despise the king they obeyed. They may serve the king from a distance, but they do so muttering and grumbling under their breath. They submit to the rule of the king's law, but they hate the king. The Pharisees were outwardly compliant, but inwardly they were treasonous in their hearts. They don't want fellowship with God at his feast. It's the last thing they want. Instead, they use their religion to conceal the disdain they have for the king of kings and the Lord of lords with pride and self-righteousness. You see, perhaps you aren't an openly defiant lawbreaker, but maybe you're like the Pharisees. You have lived your life attempting to obey God while all the while hating God. You use your moral life that you've cultivated, this image that you've obtained all the while to try to manipulate God, but you secretly loathe him and can't stand him. You use your moral life as a weapon against him. Your religious performance Maybe like the Pharisees, it's pristine, but the rotting tomb of your heart is filled with vileness and poison against the Holy One. Notice the two ways that you can reject God that Jesus mentions here. You can ignore him or you can attack him. You can forget him or you can hate him. 
You can dismiss him or you can loathe him. Look at your heart carefully this morning. Do you display apathy towards God or antipathy towards God? Both come from the devil. Both come from your own wicked heart and both lead to destruction. You see, by refusing the king's invitation, both it dishonors the king and it is spitting in his face. They're throwing dung at his holiness by refusing to come. They're slapping the king in his face. So what will the Lord do with such treasonous subjects? What is the fitting and proper response? You see, the king's son is too honorable, too glorious, too holy to stand by complacent against such offenders. Thus, the king unleashes his army, Jesus says, and he destroys the murderers and he burns down the city. You see, God's judgment is coming for all who reject him. All who say in their hard-hearted rebellion against him, all those who ignore him, all those who attack him, they will know the utter destruction of his eternal wrath. Perhaps you've spent your life rejecting God today, either ignoring him or attacking him. Please heed Jesus's warning. Not only will those of you who reject Jesus not be granted into that wedding feast, but you will be destroyed. You will not only miss out on the feast of heaven, but you will experience the justice of God in an eternal hell. Friend, do not reject the invitation of the Savior this morning. You are a sinner. We all are. If you have breath in your lungs today, it is not too late. Stop rejecting him. You may have rejected God your entire life, but today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart against him. Today is the day of salvation. Repent of your sins and look in faith to Jesus Christ because God is gracious. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is patient with you. Even you, you who have rejected him, you are not beyond his mercy. You are not beyond his grace. So humble yourself and plead before the throne. And the king of all the earth will wash you and cleanse you and heal you and forgive you and sanctify you. Heed the warning of the parable. Don't fall into this devilish trap of legalism, pride, and arrogance. Like the religious leaders who rejected Jesus with such hatred. And they're in the midst of conspiring to kill him here. But yet while the leaders of Israel would reject the invitation to the wedding feast, the king is not going to be dishonored by an empty wedding hall. And that leads secondly to this open invitation to the feast. We see beginning in verse eight. So after the destruction of the murders and the city's burning, the king spoke to his servants notifying them that, again, everything is ready for the feast. Everything's prepared. But those who were invited were not worthy. So he commands his servants to go and to invite, look at what he says, as many as you find, as many as you find, to, to Jesus's audience. That must have come across as a bit of a shock. You mean anybody's invited to this thing? What, wasn't, wasn't the kingdom of God reserved for an elite few? 
Wasn't it restricted only for ethnic Israel? Didn't, didn't the religious leaders have the best shot at receiving an invitation? Weren't they the ones who were supposed to come? And so instead, now, Jesus, you're telling us that, that anyone can come, that everyone is invited. And so they went out to the roads, and they gathered everyone they found. And look what the text says. Everyone they found, verse 10, both bad and good. <laughs> both bad and good. Literally, anyone is welcome to come to this wedding feast. The invitation is open. You see, the good news is that the feast of God is open to all who will come. That means you. Yes, you. You are invited and you can come to this feast. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It doesn't matter if you're a church kid or if you're a jailbird. It doesn't matter whether you are a valedictorian or you are a heroin junkie, whether you are the CEO or whether you are homeless on the streets. All of us stand condemned before God in our sin, but yet God graciously extends the invitation of salvation to everyone. He uses no filter, no rubric to decide who to come. Who do I invite? Instead, he gives the invitation to all, all who will come, all who will hear the gospel, all who will respond in repentance and faith. Anyone who will receive the invitation is welcome to come to the wedding feast of God. That is good news. So do not despair. Do not despair as you look at your life, and you might see your life as a mess, and chances are it probably is. And you look at your life, and you might think, well, who would invite me? Who would invite me to uh, the wedding feast of God? How can I be welcomed? Friend, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, the astonishing fact of God's mercy is that he gives grace to those who don't deserve it. That includes all of us. You see, Jesus flips the script followed by the self-righteous. Right? The very folks who we would never consider inviting to, the royal, to a royal wedding are the very ones that the king invites to come. You don't deserve an invitation, but yet God in his mercy extends one to even a sinner such as yourself, such as me. So will you come? Will you come to the wedding feast? Do, do not stand in disbelief at God's generous grace, but instead, let me urge you to run to the wedding hall. Leave behind your path and run to the wedding hall. Drop everything you have, forgetting what lies behind. Forget everything that you were going to do. God has invited you to the wedding feast. So get up and run and go. Everything else is lost now that you have received this invitation. So run with repentance in every step. Run to God with faith, strengthening your legs. Go to the wedding hall of God. He has summoned you to come. So do not despise him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So why did the king do this, though? Why did the king make the invitation open to everyone? The answer comes at the end of verse 10. Look at what the text says. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. It was filled with guests. It was empty. Those invited didn't come. 
But now that it's open to all, the wedding hall was filled with guests. You see, the king is worthy of such matchless honor that he deserves and demands a packed room and a complete assembly to revel and enjoy the celebration. You see, what brings God glory is not a small assembly of uninterested guests, but a packed hall filled with guests' joyful amazement that the God of all the universe has invited me to come. They're amazed, they're astonished, they're in awe. So God aims in the work of the gospel to to create an assembly, a, a church in such a way that the wedding hall is filled with guests who want to be there, who delight to be there, who are amazed at the grace of his invitation. You see, we are God's servants. And God has called us as his church to go and ask far and wide, inviting everyone we can to come to the wedding feast. And so we travel from east to west. We travel from north to south. We travel every continent and cross every ocean. The church of God on mission goes to herald the good news of Jesus. Every tribe, every language, every tongue, every nation. See, the Lord is gathering in the gospel the most unexpected and diverse assembly to enjoy the fellowship of his presence. And church, you and I have been given the task. Here we see Jesus foreshadowing the Great Commission to come at the end of the gospel. We must go out and get the good news, get the invitation out to all who will hear of Christ. So may the Lord make us bold, making sure that everyone you and I come into contact with, making sure they hear of this invitation that they are invited to come to find salvation in Jesus. And may we travel all across the world if necessary, proclaiming the joy of Christ, inviting everyone to Jesus. As Romans says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Church, we need more beautiful feet who will walk along the dusty and troublesome roads to the nations because with those feet come the good news of God's invitation of salvation. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. May the Lord use us at Redemption Church to fill the wedding hall with guests. That leads to a third consideration here today. The qualifications for entering the feast. In verse 11 through 14. You see, Jesus in this parable anticipates a potential error that we could make about this parable. We could think, well, that yes, while God might exclude the religious elite, he might exclude the Pharisees, he includes everyone else. We, We would assume that because the invitation to the wedding is inclusive, we might mistakenly think that then salvation is inclusive. That if the invite is for all, then God must save all. See, Jesus makes it clear that not everyone who comes to the feast will be welcomed, particularly if they don't come in the right way, in the right manner. So Jesus concludes the parable with the reminder that though the invitation of grace is open to everyone, we must respond rightly to that invitation. 
we must be qualified to enter the wedding feast. In Colossians, Paul gives thanks to the Father who has qualified you, he says, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So there's a, we must be qualified to come to this feast. We're invited, but we must be qualified. So it is the Father who qualifies us for entrance. You see, while God invites us to the wedding feast, he also makes us suitable to come to that wedding feast. So the wedding feast is full in the parable. In verse 11, and yet we see as the king came to see the assembly gathered, he spotted a man who had no wedding garment. No wedding garment. The man was not clothed appropriately for the festivities. And so his appearance is not fit for attendance at the feast. He's not welcome to come. Now, how do you get a wedding garment? That might be a good question. And what is a wedding garment? And what does that mean as we think about this parable? What is Jesus talking about here? Well, well, going to a wedding means that you dress appropriately for the occasion. Now, in our modern era of weddings, that has gotten a lot more complicated, right? I've been a groomsman in several weddings, and I have worn a three-piece tuxedo to one, and I have worn jeans with converses to another. Who knows what it means to be dressed appropriately at a wedding anymore? As the pastor and officiant of a wedding, I always have to ask the bride and groom, how do I dress, right? Do I dress up? Do I dress down? Tell me what to wear because every wedding has different attire nowadays. But yet, regardless of how they were dressed in Jesus' day, it's quite clear that this fellow is not dressed appropriately. He lacks the wedding garment, which means that he was not qualified to be at the wedding. You see, there are two different options here in terms of what Jesus means by this wedding garment and what it means for the parable. First, the wedding garment could refer to the imputed righteousness of Christ that we receive by faith, Jesus's righteousness gifted to us. We must wear the robes of his righteousness if we will be granted entrance into heaven. That's one possible meaning. The second is that the wedding garment could refer to the good works of the believer as good works are the evidence of saving faith. So some biblical evidence indicates that the king would provide garments to guests who would attend royal events. We see this in Genesis 45 and even Esther 6. So perhaps what Jesus is talking about here is that the the king would provide not only an invitation to the wedding, but he would give you proper attire for the wedding. After all, the the open invitation to the wedding is drawing in all sorts of people from the streets. I doubt they had nice clothes to wear. I doubt they had proper clothing. So perhaps this man without a wedding garment has responded to the invitation to come, but yet he's refused to wear the provided garments. If that's the case, then the garment refers to the believer's righteousness given by Jesus. Jesus is the righteous son of God who lays down his life for us upon the cross, paying the penalty of our sin. And as we come to him in faith, we not only have our sins paid for by Jesus, but then he gifts us his righteousness. It's imputed to us. It's credited to us as righteousness, as we've seen from Romans 4 earlier in our service. If that's the case, then this garment, the wedding garment, refers to the gifted righteousness we receive from God. Theologians call this imputed righteousness. And so in Ezekiel, God describes himself in this way, right, as one who clothes his people. Let me read for you from Ezekiel 16. 
The Lord says, I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. This perhaps is what's going on here with this wedding garment. The king has clothed those invited to come. And as we think about this, this makes sense, right? All of us are naked, spiritually speaking, right? We need God to clothe us. We need God to take the filthy rags of our sin, and and we need him to gift us with the white robes of Jesus' righteousness. So thus, by faith in Jesus, God adorns his people, granting a wedding garment to all who will come to the feast. And so the king here casts out the man who refuses to wear the wedding garment because he has snuck into the wedding feast without the proper qualifications. He wants to enjoy the feast without humbling himself in faith to receive Jesus' righteousness. Those who think that they can just waltz into heaven with their filthy rags will find a stern rejection from the Lord, and they will be cast out into the outer darkness to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, if you don't receive Jesus' righteousness as your own, you will not be welcomed into heaven. The wedding garment might also represent the good works necessary in the Christian life. We must, as Hebrews tells us, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Jesus said earlier in Matthew's gospel that a tree is known by its fruit. However, even if the ropes here in Jesus' parable refer to the good works necessary in the Christian life, it doesn't really fundamentally change the point of Jesus' parable at all. All of this comes by God's grace. As James would say in James 2, verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The good works of the Christian life are the byproduct of saving faith. It's the Spirit of God who, by grace, sanctifies the believer who first comes to faith in Jesus Christ. So perhaps here we see this man who has received the initial invitation of the wedding feast, but he never put on the fruit of the Spirit. He neglected good works. He remained in his love for the world and in his carnality. You see, whether the garments represents the imputation of Jesus' righteousness or the evidence of that righteousness in the life of the believer, the point of Jesus' parable is the same. This man does not belong at the feast. He doesn't belong here. Instead, what we have is some sort of imposter Christian at the wedding feast who has seemingly entered the feast without the proper qualifications. Friend, the invitation to Christ is open to all. Yes, it's open to you, but you must receive your wedding garment if you will be accepted there. Christ alone can give you the righteousness that you need. He has it. And as you receive Christ's righteousness as your own by faith alone in Jesus Christ, then the Spirit of God will begin to produce all sorts of good fruit in your life for the glory of God. And holiness will be a mark of your life. You see, while the Lord invites all to the wedding feast, not all will be accepted. 
Only those who possess the wedding garment will find the king's joyous embrace at the feast. Those who sneak into heaven by any other way, other than faith in Jesus Christ, will hear the Lord say, how'd you get in here? How'd you get in here? And like the man in the parable, you will stand before the Lord dumbfounded, completely silent. You will be speechless because you will be without excuse. And you will be bound hand and foot, and you will be cast into the outer darkness of hell where there is weeping and gnashing and teeth. And as Jesus concludes the parable, he warns, for many are called, but few are chosen. You see, at my wedding to Caitlin, we had to limit invitations to the feast. But with Christ, the invitation is open to all. The parable tells us the good news of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ and who humbly put on their wedding garment. This is a good news parable. We receive this invitation by grace alone. We qualify to come as we receive Jesus' righteousness by faith alone and by God's amazing mercy and grace. We will feast with him in merriment and joy in heaven for all of eternity. This is amazingly good news. But this parable is also one of a firm and strong warning that we must hear. Be warned, you who reject Jesus, either with apathy or aggression. If you scorn the invitation of the gospel today, And if you continue in your sinful rejection against the God who has made you and who has invited you to come to his feast, you will face his wrath and God will destroy the city of your soul. Be warned, you who attempt to come into the wedding feast by your own righteousness rather than the righteousness of Christ. Sadly, there will be Many, I fear, many who will superficially attach themselves to the church, thinking that they are heaven bound when they never took the wedding garment of Christ for themselves. So let me urge you, humble yourself this day before God. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus Christ truly lest you too be bound and dragged to the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this parable. Lord, it does give us a firm and needed warning for each of us to take audit of our souls to examine our own hearts. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are lost, who have either ignored the invitation of Jesus. Maybe they've outright rejected with aggression the invitation of Jesus. Or maybe they think they will be accepted when they're really not to the wedding feast. Father, if there are those who are lost this day, would I pray that they would repent, that they would humble themselves, Lord God, you are filled with mercy and compassion, even to those who have rejected you. Lord, we pray that you would save and that all here today would respond to the invitation of the
the Lord Jesus Christ, to find salvation in him. But Father, we do rejoice in the good news of this parable. That the invitation to heaven is not reserved for a few elite, but Lord, it is given to all. And Lord, we are grateful that even in our sin and our shame and the countless ways that we have failed you, Lord, that you still invite us, both good and bad, both the self-righteous and the self-condemned. Lord, you invite to come. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find great joy. Lord, as we have received the righteousness of Jesus as our garment, as we are cloaked in his good works, as we are cloaked in his perfection, Lord, we are grateful that Jesus has died for us and he has given us his own righteousness. Father, as your church, as those who know the fellowship that we can have with you, Father, I pray that we would be obedient servants, that we would hit the streets, that we would go down every lost and forsaken path, Lord, to tell others of the glorious invitation of eternal life through Jesus Christ, your son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.